Well, as we do turn to God's Word this morning, uh, we are turning to a new book. We've been in 1 Peter for a long time, and this morning we are turning to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus. Um, And so we're going to open up a series on Exodus this morning. This sermon this morning is going to be more of an overview sermon, kind of looking at the main theme or the main point of the book of Exodus. And then from there, we'll go start in chapter 1, verse 1. I'm not planning to preach all the way through Exodus. Uh, As many of you know, Exodus is over 40 chapters long. I want to do the exciting part, the first 18 chapters, you know, where it's talking about uh, the plagues and the Red Sea and all that. Um, So, I'm not going to go all the way through chapter 40, but we'll go at least uh, 1, to, 1 to 18. But again, this morning, I do want to look at the whole book of Exodus and what its message is to us. Um, now, as we look at that message that the book of Exodus has for us, I'm going to argue this morning that the main message of the book of Exodus is that we were made to know the Lord. We were made to know the Lord. And one of the key parts of the way that the book of Exodus reveals the fact that we're supposed to know the Lord is the book of Exodus reveals to us the name of the Lord, okay? So you can't really say you know someone unless you know their name, right? And so God's name is a really central theme of the book of Exodus. Now, normally I would save comments like this for the the sermon itself, but we're going to do something a little bit different in our scripture readings this morning, and that is that when we go to the book of Exodus and we read about the name of the Lord in our English Bibles, usually when, when the name of the Lord is translated in our English Bibles, you see the word the Lord with capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, okay? That's a that's an English uh, custom of translating a Hebrew word that is the actual name of the Lord. And the actual name of the Lord is Yahweh. And I'm going to argue that the name Yahweh, knowing the name Yahweh, is critical for knowing the Lord. And so when we read our text this morning, we are going to read the name Yahweh instead of reading the words the Lord. Because the Lord is a title, right? There's In history, there have been lots of lords, uh, kings, masters, whatever you want to call them. The Lord is a good title for God. It's good that we call him the Lord, but he also has a personal name, and his personal name that he wants to be known as is Yahweh. And so we're going to read that, and again in my sermon, I'm going to explore why that name is so important. So first, we will read um, Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 to 8. Uh, these verses are really a summary of the whole book of Exodus, the whole point of the book of Exodus. So Nate's going to come and read that for us. It tells us how God heard the cry of his people in slavery, how he wanted to deliver them so that he could make a covenant with them, so that he could be known by them. So that's Exodus 6, 2 to 8. Then we're going to go to Exodus 33, 12 to 19. Brian will read that for us. And that is um, a revelation of the name of the Lord. And specifically, it's going to show us a big part of what the name of the Lord really means and why it's important for us. Uh, from there, we're going to go to Romans nine fourteen to 24, which quotes Exodus 33, which again highlights the name of the Lord and how we know the Lord, why the name of the Lord is so important. And then lastly, we're going to go to Psalm 124. Uh, Ryan will read that for us. And that closes with, our help is in the name of Yahweh. And, uh, and again, it kind of recites the themes of the book of Exodus and how our hope is in God himself. Uh, so with that, uh, Nate, if you would come up and begin our reading uh, from Exodus chapter 6. Exodus 6, 2 through 8. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh, 
I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name Yahweh I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they have lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 19. Moses said to Yahweh, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight... Please show me now your ways, that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to them, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And Yahweh said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim you before you My name, Yahweh, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Romans 9, 14 to 24. What shall we say then? There is no justice with God, is there? May it never be. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on man who wills or a man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, He has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing's model will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another a common use? What if, 
God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, to make his power known, to endure with much patience vessels of his wrath, prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. Psalm 124. If it had not been Yahweh who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been Yahweh who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrents would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be Yahweh, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. Well, as we look at Exodus, you've heard the name Yahweh a lot already. You can see how much it is used in the book of Exodus. And again, my argument is going to be that the book of Exodus is to make known this God, the God named Yahweh, that we would know him. Now, if you're here this morning, I wonder if you feel that your life has one overarching purpose. I wonder if you feel that you have a a center to your life. One thing that kind of makes everything else in your life make sense. I mean, do you feel like you have one big reason for being on this earth? Or do you feel like you're just trying to kind of make it through day after day, doing whatever things you have to do that day in order to get through, not really always seeing the the purpose behind them, kind of running down a lot of different rabbit holes, feeling like you don't have a center? feeling like your brain is scattered, feeling like your heart is scattered, not knowing what you're supposed to be doing, when you're supposed to be doing it. I think that this modern world that we live in is very prone to make us feel that way day after day after day. There's so many companies and people and brands fight for our attention, fight for our allegiance, make us think that only if we follow after them, go down the road they want us to go down, then we'll be happy, then we will find satisfaction. And so often we can kind of start to believe these lies. We can say, yeah, I'll I'll buy your product, I'll go to your website, I'll get this thing, thinking that, yeah, then we're going to be like those people in the commercials, you know, then we're going to be happy. And so we end up as human beings running in a thousand different directions, never really feeling peace, never really feeling like we've arrived at the purpose of our lives, what we were made for. And if that does describe you, if you feel like you're scattered in a thousand different ways, like you don't know what you're living for, then I have some good news. The book of Exodus is for you. God's word was given to answer this question that you have. Why am I here? What is the best thing in life that is going to give me peace, that is going to make me happy ultimately? And the good news that the book of Exodus gives and the good news that God's word gives is it's not a list of a hundred different things, that only when you get all the way down to 100, then you're going to find peace. It's not a list of 50 things. It's not a list of 10 things. There's actually just one thing, 
one thing that we were made for that we will find peace in. And that one thing that we were made for, that one place where we will find peace, is in knowing God. Knowing God. Knowing God is the aim of every human life that has ever existed. To the extent that we know God, we know peace. We know joy. We know life. To the extent that we don't know God, we feel frazzled. We feel lost. We feel adrift at sea. God made us in his image so that we would know him. And when I speak of knowing God, and again, this is what the book of Exodus is going to show us, when I speak of knowing God, I'm not talking about just some kind of head knowledge, okay? I'm not just talking about theology, like you know the attributes of God, or you know the verses in the Bible that talk about God, or you know all of these kind of external things that you can check off and say, yeah, I know about the God that you're talking about. No, when Scripture talks about knowing God, it is talking about a life-changing experience where you encounter the living God, where you encounter the one who created the heavens and the earth, who created you. I mean, just, just think of it abstractly for one moment. How could you possibly meet your creator, meet the one who made you, and not be changed? Not, not be overwhelmed by that experience. I mean, that would be amazing, would it not? To, to meet your maker, to meet the creator of all things. And so when Exodus talks about knowing God, when I'm talking about knowing God right now, I'm not just talking about knowing true things. I'm talking about having an experience of the living God. That's what God gave to the people of Israel in the Exodus, is a revelation of his power, of who he was, so that they would be drawn into relationship with him. And that's what God wants for each one of us this morning. Of course, he doesn't want to deliver us from Egypt into some promised land, right? We aren't slaves in Egypt like the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. But he does want to deliver you from slavery to sin, from the fear of death, by the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants you to have an exodus from those things, to be freed from those things, and to find life, to find a relationship with the Lord. And so what the book of Exodus is doing is it's just kind of writing for us on large scale with a large pen what God is now doing for us in a spiritual way, in individual hearts, by rescuing us from the power of death, setting us free from sin so that we can serve and know the living God. And when you have come to this realization, when you yourself have realized how God has rescued you from sin and death through the cross and has brought you into relationship with him, it really does transform your life. It really does make you feel like, okay, I don't have to chase after every newest speaker, every latest product, everything out there that tells me that I'm going to be satisfied because I've found the thing that is satisfying. And will we still have lots of different roles to play in our lives? You know, will we still have to go to work or be parents, be friends, be children? Will we still have all these different hats to wear? Yes, we'll have these different hats to wear. It's not like life all of a sudden becomes really easy and carefree. We still have lots of responsibilities, but suddenly all of those responsibilities come in a new light and come with new purpose. 
In everything that we do, in all of our responsibilities, we're suddenly asking the question, okay, how can I know the Lord in this? Or how, how is the Lord meeting me in this and strengthening me for this? Because we realize that whatever we do, we want to know the Lord and we want to be used by the Lord. And so it brings a center to our lives. It brings an organizing principle so we don't feel scattered, lost anymore. Rather, we have found satisfaction for our souls, and that is what we now live for. So that's where I'm going this morning, and I want to take us there through looking at the big picture of Exodus and looking in particular about how Exodus reveals the name of the Lord. Because again, I think in revealing the name of the Lord, the Exodus, the book of Exodus is in a sense retelling the whole story of redemption itself. So, first of all, if you have your Bibles with you and they're open, I invite you to open them to Exodus chapter 6. This is the text that we just read before. And I just want to look at this text in Exodus to establish what I just said, okay? That I'm not just making stuff up here, but I really am trying to communicate what Moses himself is communicating, what God himself is communicating in the book of Exodus. So Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So pause there for just a moment. Realize what God is saying to Moses in this moment. He's saying that, yes, people knew me before what I'm about to do. They knew me before the Exodus. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these patriarchs, they knew me. But they knew me distantly, right? They didn't have this personal revelation of who I am. And what is this personal revelation? By my name, Yahweh. So God himself is putting a special emphasis on his name, saying that when I reveal my name to you, I'm communicating to you something special about myself and who I am so that you can know me in a way where I'm no longer distant, but where I'm near to you, right? Nobody would say that you're friends with somebody if you didn't know their name. You wouldn't be married to someone and not know their name, right? Knowing someone's name is kind of one of the first things that you learn about them. So if you're going to have a deep relationship with someone, it presupposes you know their name. And that's what God's saying here. He's saying, I'm going to reveal my name. So by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. So this is the word covenant, which will come back up in just a couple verses. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So a covenant is this relationship that's established by promising yourself to one another. So when God Almighty says he made covenant, With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's saying that I promised myself to them. I swore an oath to them. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they did the same. They swore an oath to me. They promised to be mine. I promised to be theirs. This is the covenant that God established with them. This personal relationship, okay? Again, not just knowledge about, not just this distant God who you hear about sometimes. But God promised to be theirs and they promised to be his. So so verse 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. 
I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. All right, that's the covenant language right there. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So notice God's purpose here in the Exodus work that he is about to accomplish. He's about to free them from slavery. He's about to bring them into a promised land. And why is he doing all this? You shall know that I am Yahweh, your God. He brings them out so that they will know him. If you look at the overall structure of the book of Exodus, you do see that the first 18 chapters or so is the story of God bringing the people out of Egypt. It tells the story of how they were enslaved and how Moses was called to a ministry and how Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let your people go. And so it tells about the plagues that God brought down upon the Egyptians until that last plague that he brought, the death of the firstborn, was finally the thing that broke the back of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, fine, I will let your people go. And so the people escaped out of the land, but then Pharaoh, of course, changed his mind and he sends his army out to kill all the Israelites and to capture any that he could. But there, God works another salvation by parting the Red Sea so that the people can pass through on dry land. And then he swallows up Pharaoh in that Red Sea as they chase after him. So that's the first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus. But again, the book of Exodus is over 40 chapters long. So what happens in the rest? Well, after he brings them out, after those 18 chapters of God doing this amazing work of rescuing his people from slavery, comes this long section where God reveals himself to them. They come to Mount Sinai. And when they come to Mount Sinai, God descends on Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning and smoke and the mountain shook and the people were afraid because now they were in the presence of the living God. And Moses goes up on the mountain and he comes down with the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of stone. And after that, he goes back up the mountain and he gets the Book of the Covenant where God reveals to his people, here's how you can walk in my ways. And Moses comes back down with the Book of the Covenant so now the people know the Lord even more. But even then, God isn't done yet. For the last 15 chapters of the book of Exodus, God is revealing a plan for the tabernacle. What is the tabernacle? The tabernacle is the place where the people of Israel can meet with God. It's the place where they can come into his presence, where they can come to know him. Okay, so this is the purpose. This is the structure of the book of Exodus. Freedom. Freedom from slavery. Freedom from Egypt. But not just freedom so that they could, you know, kick back and relax and feel good about themselves. Freedom so that now they can know the Lord. Because this is the purpose that God made them for. This is what God wanted for them all along, that they could be in covenant relationship with him. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, this is the same reason why God has saved you. It's why God sent Jesus Christ to bear the penalty for your sins so that you would not fall under God's judgment. He didn't do that just so now you could relax and enjoy whatever you wanted to enjoy. He did that so that you could know the Lord. 
so that you could serve the living God, so that you could worship him, so that you could have this transformative experience of knowing God personally. And so this is what Exodus is pointing towards. And this is what our own salvation in Jesus Christ is pointing towards, is that we would know the Lord in this personal way. Now, in Scripture in particular, but really in everyone's life, I believe, knowing someone's name is really critical. Now, in Scripture, it's especially critical because a name in Scripture is thought to reveal something essential about who the person is, right? Names are not just random tags associated to persons. No, the name reveals something about someone's essential character or someone's essential nature. And it's no different with the name of God himself. God's name reveals something of his character. And in the book of Exodus in particular, God's name is revealed in three different phases. Okay, and so we're going to look at each of these phases and see how God himself God himself develops the meaning of his name and the significance of his name. So first I want to go to Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Exodus 3, 13 to 15. So again, if you have your Bibles open, you can turn back just a couple chapters from chapter 6 to chapter 3. And this is the first time where God reveals his name to Moses. So God has just called Moses. God's told Moses, hey, my people are slaves in Egypt. I need you to go and set them free. Moses is kind of coming up with a lot of excuses for why he should not be the one to go. And one of the issues that he has is that if he goes to the people of Israel and he says, hey, I'm here to set you free, he doesn't know who to say sent him. I mean, he knows God sent him, but who is God? Moses doesn't know. And so he asks the Lord, well, God, if if you're sending me, who should I say sent me? So Exodus 3.13 says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Right? So you can kind of understand Moses' dilemma, right? He's going to be this messenger for somebody, but he doesn't even know the name of the person that he's going for. So, God, what's your name? Who do I say my message is from? And then verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. This is the first revelation of God's name. In the Hebrew, Ehyeh asher Ehyeh, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So, God first reveals his name as this name meaning, I am who I am. Now, we can get some basic principles, I think, from this for who God is. The statement, I am who I am, I think speaks to God as being the one who is self-existent, right? The one who doesn't depend on anything or anyone else to exist, right? A lot of people want to somehow try to refute the idea of God, by saying, oh, well, who made God? Or where does God come from? 
Well, this name of God, what it is meant to communicate is that no one made God. God doesn't come from anywhere. He has existed since eternity past. He alone is the being who does not depend on anything else for his existence. And yet, this name also leaves a lot of questions, right? Just saying that God exists is a very important thing. It's a critical thing. But still, who is this God? What is he like? We still have a lot to learn about this God. And so the book of Exodus carries on. And of course, we hear this whole story of what God does in Exodus 1 to 18 by delivering his people through judgment upon Egypt. But after they get out of Egypt, this question of God's name is still not resolved in Moses' mind. Moses is still wondering, who is the Lord? What does this name mean? And so, next I want to go to Exodus 33. This is Exodus 33, verses 17 to 19. Exodus 33, 17 to 19. You can turn there if you like. It says, The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, Moses said, will you go with us, God? This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So notice God says, I know you by name, Moses. That's an expression of how intimately God knows Moses. And then verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. So Hear that request, register that in your minds. Moses asked God, please show me your glory. And here's God's response. God is going to show Moses his glory. How is God going to show Moses his glory? He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. Okay, so that's how God is going to reveal his glory to Moses. Let his goodness pass before him and proclaim his name. Now, the next phrase, we get a little more detail about what the name of God truly means. Because God says, I will proclaim before you my name, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Notice the similarity that that phrase has to the first revelation of God's name. God's name at the very first in Exodus 3 was revealed as, I am who I am. So, one statement, who I am. Self-dependent, right? Self-existent, not depending on anyone else or anything else. And notice the statement that's made here in Exodus 33, 19. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. It's another statement of God saying, I don't depend on anyone else or anything else. I am who I am is I show mercy to whom I show mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Okay, This is part of the heart of God, the essence of who God is. He is the one who shows mercy, who shows grace, independent of any decision that we make, independent of anything outside himself at all, independent of any works that we perform. He shows mercy. This is who God is. This is what the name Yahweh means. I am who I am. I show mercy to whom I show mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. But God doesn't even end the exploration of his name there or the explanation of his name there. This was just a a preparation for Moses for the further revelation of God's name. 
And so in Exodus 33, God is preparing Moses to hear his name by saying, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And in the next chapter, Exodus 34, Moses actually goes up the mountain. And this is where God's goodness really passes before Moses and where God truly explains the fullness of his name to Moses. So Exodus 34, beginning in verse 4. It says, So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So this is the fullest proclamation of Yahweh's name, of God's name. He is, I am who I am. He is, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. But finally, he is the God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So all of these words of grace, all of these words of mercy, this is who God is. But then another part of God's name, another part of God's character, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God is a God of justice, and he is a God of grace. This is what the name Yahweh means. And if this is what, if this is what the name Yahweh means, and if God wants to reveal to people who he is, he wants to reveal to people that he is the God who is the God of justice, and he wants to reveal to people that he is also the God of grace, then we're left with the question, how how can we know that? How can we see that? How can we know this God? How can we truly know Yahweh? Know the one who is justice. Know the one who is grace. And beloved, the answer to that the answer that Exodus gives and the, ex- and the answer that we see even more gloriously through Jesus Christ is salvation. Salvation is how God reveals his name. In saving a people, God shows grace. He shows mercy on people who do not deserve his salvation. Me, I myself deserve God's wrath. I am a wicked and messed up person. And God should have condemned me years ago. And yet he had mercy on me. So I can stand here today and I can even teach his word. Praise God for his mercy. So he shows his mercy in salvation. But salvation would not mean anything if we were not rescued from anything. If there were no danger that we were in. Right? If we were not in danger, we wouldn't need rescue. 
Being rescued from a situation where you're perfectly safe makes no sense, right? If you're safe, you don't need rescue. You need rescue when you're in danger, when you're at risk. And so salvation also implies judgment or justice. There is justice that all of humanity faces because we have all broken God's law. We have all been disobedient to God. And because God is a God of justice, because his name, Yahweh, means justice, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. And that means that every human being on earth needs to hear the message of salvation, the message of grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Because apart from the cross of Christ, apart from our sin being condemned in Jesus Christ as he hung on the tree, apart from our sin being condemned there, there is only one other place to find justice, and that is we ourselves being condemned. Beloved, that is the fate of most of mankind today. I mean, just look in the Muslim world, over six million people in one country alone who have not heard the message of Jesus Christ, who are opposed to God, who live in their sin, who revel in things that are evil. God will have justice on them. And they have not heard the good news of Christ. We must always be about proclaiming the good news of Christ because when we proclaim this message of salvation... When we proclaim that God came down in Jesus Christ in order to take the punishment for our sins, we are proclaiming the essence of who God is, the name of Yahweh. We are proclaiming that God shows mercy to us because he came in the flesh and he died for our sins. And we are proclaiming that God is a God of justice because he surely does punish sins. And so it is in proclaiming the gospel, it is in presenting the good news of Jesus Christ that we are presenting people with the clearest snapshot of who God is. He is the God who rescues, but he is also the God who judges. He is the God of grace, and he is also the God of justice. And so this is what the book of Exodus is all about. It's all about giving us this backdrop of God's justice. How do we get this backdrop of God's justice? Well, we see it in all the ten plagues that come upon Egypt because Egypt will not listen to God. They they will not let God's people go. And so God sends judgment after judgment after judgment on the people of Egypt. This is a judgment that they rightly deserve because they will not listen to the one true holy God. And because they will not listen to him, all their crops die, all their animals die, and ultimately even their children themselves die because they will not listen to God. Again, this is the fate of so many around us who do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are under just condemnation for their sins, for the wrongs that they have committed. But then what does the book of Exodus do against this backdrop of plague after plague after plague. It tells us of God's mercy after God's mercy after God's mercy. None of the plagues that fall on the Egyptians fall on the people of God. They are delivered out of them all. Until finally, with the last plague, when all the firstborn of Egypt are killed because they will not listen to God, God gives them a way to put some blood over their doorways. 
And if they put the blood of a lamb over their doorway, then the angel of death will not enter into their homes and will not kill their firstborn. They get mercy. They get grace. So there's this backdrop of judgment of justice against the people of Israel. And it highlights this grace for the people of God that totally undeserved have been chosen by God to be rescued, to be delivered. And so they experience mercy. And so God proclaims his name in all of these things that he does. He proclaims that he will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. He proclaims that he is a God who is merciful and gracious, but who will by no means clear the guilty. He is revealing who he is. He is revealing his name, Yahweh. And again, as I've said, all of these great works of judgment and mercy are truly meant to point forward to a greater work of judgment and mercy. You see, part of what's wonderful about the book of Exodus is that it puts kind of a physical description on what judgment looks like and what mercy looks like, right? Like all the plagues on Egypt, they're easy for us to visualize, right? We can see hailstones falling from the sky. We can see frogs and gnats multiplying in the land. We can see firstborn being killed. And so we see the devastation of the curse, the devastation that justice brings. And at the same time, we see the freedom of salvation. We see the people after they get through the Red Sea. They don't have the Egyptians to fear anymore. They now have a land that they're going to that they can call their own. We have all these big physical pictures for how great salvation is. But again, this points to something that's actually an even greater salvation, a greater rescue, and that is what we receive through Jesus Christ. Now, it can be difficult for us, I think, to see the rescue that we get through Jesus Christ as being bigger than the rescue that we see in the Exodus. It's more difficult because the rescue that we get in Jesus Christ is fundamentally, right now, a spiritual rescue. The rescue that we get in Jesus Christ is most basically a rescue from sin. Okay, we are all slaves to sin. We are all captives to sin. We cannot stop sinning. We need help. We need rescue. And that is what God does for us in Jesus Christ. But so often we don't see just how terrible sin is. We don't see how disgusting it is, how destructive it is, how terrible it is for ourselves and others. And so that's where the book of Exodus is so helpful because we see these big plagues and these big plagues are just a small picture to to us of how destructive our sin itself is. And so when we see the story of redemption in the book of Exodus, we see the curses that fall there. We are reminded of the devastation that our own sin causes. And then when we see the rescue that God gives to those people, we are reminded of the rescue that we have in Jesus Christ. So we've already gone through one exodus if we've trusted in Jesus Christ. We've exited from the power of sin and we've entered into the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But beloved, another part of the good news of exodus is that we as God's people await an even greater exodus that is to come. You see, God's justice is still coming upon the world. A day is coming when Jesus will return and he will judge the living and the dead. God's justice will finally and fully be revealed and no one will escape the judgment of God. And we, on that day, we also need an exodus. We need a salvation. 
We don't want to be condemned on that day like the Egyptians were condemned. No, we want to be rescued to know and to serve and to love the living God. And so Jesus, he has rescued us from the power of sin, but he also promises us this future rescue that when he returns and when the judgment happens, we don't need to fear We don't need to worry. We know that in Jesus Christ, we will be counted as righteous before God's eyes. And so we will enter into knowing him and loving him forever and ever. You see, right now, we know God in a mirror dimly, right? We we can see him. We see him especially through Jesus Christ, but it's still a little bit blurry. We still can't know him as much as we want to know him. We still can't see him as fully as we want to see him. And so the day is coming when Christ will return, when his justice will be executed, and we will see God face to face. You see, even Moses here in the book of Exodus, when he sees God and when God says his name, Moses can only look at God's back. And he can only hear this verbal proclamation of God's name. And then scripture tells us that a veil was over the face of all the Israelites because they couldn't even bear the reflected glory in Moses' face. So there was this great distance between God. In Jesus Christ, we no longer have a veil. We can see God in the person of Jesus Christ. We know him. We know the name Yahweh even more intimately than Moses knew the name Yahweh. And again, beloved, a day is coming when we will see God face to face. If we just hold on for that greater exodus, if we live in the power of the Spirit that God has already poured out, then we will surely know that great reward, that greater exodus that is coming in the future. And so, beloved, I encourage you, I exhort you to pursue the living God, to know Him, know Him in salvation, know Him in the mercy that He chose through judgment. Don't run away from the justice of God. Rather, be thankful that you yourself have been rescued from the justice of God to know God. And then strive to make sure that everything in your life reflects the fact that you can now know and love and serve this living God, that you truly have been saved from the power of sin. And you've been brought into this living relationship with the living God. One closing remark, especially for the kids here. Thank you, kids, for sitting so faithfully through this service. Know that we, as your parents who love the Lord, our greatest hope for you is that you will know the living God. I don't care if my kids get straight A's or not. I don't care if they end up being a millionaire or not. I don't care if they're superstar athletes or anything like that. What I want most for my kids, what I want most for every human being, is that they would know the Lord. I will be the happiest father alive if all four of my children come to know the Lord. Because again, that is what we were made for. That is where true joy is found. And so that is the message of Exodus. That's the message that we'll be exploring for the next several months is how can we know the Lord? How can we see who God is through all these acts of justice, through all these acts of mercy? And as we see this justice and this mercy, I trust that we will see Yahweh himself and we will come to love him all the more. And so would you pray with me now that God would do that in our hearts. You can pray prayers of confession, pray prayers of petition as we go to the Lord now, seeking his face 
asking him to reveal himself to us. I'll open us in prayer, and then I open it to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have made a way for us to know you, that you have rescued us, that you have delivered us from the power of sin, and you've brought us to a place that's even greater than Mount Sinai. You've brought us to a place where we can know you and see you face to face. So God, I pray that whatever barriers anyone in here faces this morning to truly knowing you in a personal way, I pray that those barriers would be torn down. I pray that idols would be torn down, that sin would be rejected. And God, that we would move out of the place of judgment and death and that we would move into the place of life and health and peace. So God, would you hear our prayers now as we turn to you and as we seek your face.